Well, Mr. President, thank you for your kind introduction this morning. My privilege and honor to bring the Word of God to you today. We will be looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. So if you'd like to turn there with me, if you will, and read along as I read our text today. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Going off message for a politician can be deadly for his or her career. Going off message is defined as saying things in public that are different from the official ideas of his or her political party. If politicians risk their political futures when they go off message, how much greater a risk for the church's life and effectiveness when it goes off message from the gospel? The good news of what the triune God has done for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ to redeem us from sin and reconcile us to himself. The only message described as the power of God unto salvation in Scripture when we drift from our message, we confuse our identity and stray from our mission. Even though Paul did not establish the church at Rome and had not yet visited the believers there, he writes this letter to further establish the Roman church in the gospel of God. By offering an extended exposition and pastoral application of the gospel to the life and mission of the church, and he writes with a practical purpose that he be helped by the church on his way to Spain to preach Christ where Christ had not been named. And I believe very strongly that Paul is teaching and modeling for the church at Rome and for the church today an unyielding fidelity to the gospel and a passion to proclaim it that should mark every body of Christ. Just listen to the different ways that Paul describes himself in relationship to the gospel. Paul says that he is set apart for the gospel in our text today. He says in chapter 1, he serves God in the preaching of the gospel. He is under obligation to preach the gospel to all nations. He is eager to preach the gospel. He is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. In chapter 15, he says he aspires to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. He is also called to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles or the nations, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that, Paul says, my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul lived a gospel-saturated life. For Paul, the preaching of the gospel among the nations defined his calling, fueled his passion, informed his obligation and shaped his highest 
aspiration. I submit to you this morning that what Paul is saying here about himself is also what he's wanting to inculcate into the church at Rome and into every church of every age, is that we have this same level of commitment to the message of the gospel. In our passage today, we see how Paul serves as an example to the church at Rome and of us today of how the gospel, first of all, shapes our identity, how it defines our message, and then how it directs our mission. First of all, the gospel shapes our identity. Notice what Paul said about himself as he's lining out his bona fides here. He says that he is a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Paul first described himself in these terms. The word is doulos, and it literally means slave. He defines himself as a slave before he even mentions the fact that he's called as an apostle. Paul used the word intentionally to refer to his complete surrender to the Lord of all creation and redemption, the one who purchased him with his own blood and called him by his grace on the road to Damascus to be an apostle. The word has the meaning of unlimited obedience, as one commentator has noted. The gospel calls us to see that we have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, just like the apostle Paul, and that we are not our own. And this reality that the gospel reminds us of frees us to serve for the pleasure of our Lord and not to be a slave to the pleasure of others. Perhaps you've heard the old adage that when we're teenagers, we care far too much about what others think about us. When we get into midlife, we really don't care what others think about us. And then when we get into our 60s and our older years, we realize nobody was even thinking about us at all to begin with. The gospel of Jesus Christ frees us to serve the master by serving others with the gospel of Jesus Christ and calls on us to follow his example as well. Paul exhorts the Philippians in chapter 2 to have the mind of Christ who, though he was God, emptied himself, not by divesting his deity, but by taking on humanity in the form of a doulos, in the form of a slave, and was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. To be a bondservant is to walk in humility and obedience no matter the cost. The gospel calls us to be all in all the time in our service to the master, even when times get tough and we face difficulties. The Lord Jesus Christ has promised us that he will be with us to the end of the age. He is in us and we are in him. Paul exhorts this church in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, and verses 1 and 2 to lay it all down for the Lord. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The gospel calls us to a daily surrender of our lives as our essential and fitting act of worship to the Lord who has bought us with his own blood. We belong to him. The gospel continually calls us to see ministry not as a career path, but as a calling whereby we find our highest joy, not in the pursuit of selfish ambition, but in submitting our lives in complete obedience and sacrificial service to the Lord Jesus Christ so that his name may be proclaimed among all the nations and magnified in our lives right where we are in our place of service. Paul not only says the gospel shapes our identity in reminding us that we are bondservants, but the gospel shapes our identity in reminding us that we, as Paul, are set apart 
for the gospel. Paul was unique in that he was called to be an apostle. God gave inspired revelation through Paul and the 13 letters that he penned that are now a part of the New Testament. The office of the apostle ended with the deaths of the original 12 and the apostle Paul. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us that the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Their foundational work is the deposit of the New Testament that is given to the church. Apostolic authority no longer resides in people, but in the Bible itself, in the Old and New Testament. The apostolic mission of the gospel to all nations, however, now belongs to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are under his command and authority to give ourselves to the task of making disciples of all nations. Now, we are set apart for the gospel as Paul was. The entire missionary movement that began in earnest in the 18th century was predicated on the insight that the great commission that Jesus Christ gave in Matthew 28 was not just for the apostles, but it was for the church of every age. In 1792, William Carey, a pioneer British Baptist missionary to India from 1793 to 1834, and considered to be the father of the modern missionary movement, preached a famous sermon in his local Baptist association with two points. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. It had a tremendous impact on the evangelical world called the Deathless Sermon. In that same year, he wrote a pamphlet entitled, An Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathens. Carey asserted that Christ has commanded the worldwide preaching of the gospel to the church of every age, and that the offering of the gospel to all nations is the God-ordained means of calling sinners to salvation in Christ, and that we should do so without discrimination to the ends of the earth. His influence led to the formation of the Baptist Missionary Society, which became a model in its own day of how to organize for missions. The gospel is the only means by which God saves sinners. And he commands his people who have received the gospel to organize as churches, to send workers for the global harvest, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, to gather new believers into churches, and to continue the mission. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and 14 of our obligation and of the logic of the gospel. Paul says, for whoever, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. The vast majority of people that live on this planet of 8 billion people or more will live and die without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if the gospel is the only means by which people can be saved, if it is in fact the power of God unto salvation, and God has commanded us to go and proclaim it to the ends of the earth, then it means that you and I have an obligation to fulfill the Lord gives the church the responsibility to sin. You notice in our text, there are those who sin and there are those who are sent. 
The gospel task is far greater than any one church. Even though the local church is headquarters for the Great Commission, we need each other as churches to engage the task of making disciples of all nations. The Southern Baptist Convention formed in 1845 around a confession of faith for one sacred effort to partner together around a common confession of faith of autonomous, uh, to partner together as a denomination of autonomous Baptist churches to make disciples of all nations. And immediately upon the formation of the Southern Baptist Convention was the formation of the Foreign Mission Board. It was formed to fulfill the gospel aspirations of all Southern Baptists. And after 177 years of serving, the International Mission Board continues its mission of facilitating the sending of gospel preachers around the world for the global task. And as uh, Zane mentioned to us on Tuesday, there's no better time if you feel like God has called you to serve than to approach the International Mission Board than today. There are more resources than there are applicants. God has provided a means by which we go. If God is calling you, consider going yourself. Now, we see how the gospel shapes our identity. Well, let's look at the gospel itself. The gospel defines our message. What did Paul say about the gospel? He said that we're set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul wanted to be clear about the content of the gospel. Now, I think it's important that you and I be clear about what is the gospel, right? And Paul gives us an outline of the gospel here. He refers to it as the gospel of God. He refers to it as that which is promised in the Old Testament. And he refers to it as that which is centered on the person of the Son and the work of the Son of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word gospel is the word evangelion. Paul refers to it as the gospel of God, the gospel of his son, the gospel of Christ. He refers to it as my gospel. The gospel of the triune God is the good news of his mighty and ultimate act of deliverance on behalf of his people from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin through the person and work of the Holy Spirit, through the person and work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel has its origin in God. It belongs to God. It is the mystery concealed in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament. It is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who is believing to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And by that, Paul meant that the salvation that God provides is comprehensive. It refers to the securing of our, or the pronouncing of our justification, that we are forgiven and clothed in the very righteousness of Christ at the moment that we believe. It means that God sends his Holy Spirit at the moment of faith to sanctify us, to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ and the good work that he has begun in us, he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The gospel informs us of the promise of one day that we will be glorified with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we see him as he is, we shall be like him. The gospel is the gospel of God. It is rooted in his love. It meets the requirements of his justice, and it is directed to all nations. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God is no respecter of persons. The gospel of God encompasses 
all nations and is to be offered to all people. God is no, he is not partial to one people over another. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 to 13, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. God is no respecter of persons, and neither should we be respecter of persons. God calls us out of our cultural enclaves to bear the message of the gospel to all people and to see people through the lens of the gospel as those for whom Christ has died. Not only is it the gospel of God, it is the gospel that is promised in the Old Testament. Paul gives a summary of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he says, For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scripture. Paul gives us a summary of the heart of the gospel here, which is Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. And he says that this is the teaching of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham that will bless all nations by justifying those among them who will hear and heed the gospel call to repent and believe in Jesus. He is the prophet like Moses that will arise among his people to whom we owe obedience. He is the son of David who will forever sit on the throne of his father David as king of kings and lord of lords. He is the high priest who has come according to the order of Melchizedek to offer himself for the sins of of his people. He is the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, 6, of whom it is said, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He is the son of man in Daniel who descends from heaven and establishes a universal kingdom upon the earth. He is the Messiah who will save his people from their sins. He is appointed, Isaiah tells us, as a light to all nations so that his salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord, and our God. Paul makes much in Romans 4 about the example of Abraham as an example of how God has always had one plan of salvation, and that is to justify the believing sinner by faith. He said that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Paul said in Galatians 3, chapter 8, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Now, we must be students of all of the Bible, right? Because in all of Scripture, we have the progressive unfolding of the plan of God for the nations, the gospel of God, the gospel of His Son, the gospel of our salvation. And we are commanded to study to show ourselves approved, a workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of God. For those of you who are called to be preachers and teachers, don't neglect tying in your sermon, whatever it may be, with God's great purpose for the nations. Let the gospel be woven in and through your message in order that the people of God may know who they are, they may know the core of their message, and they may know what mission God has called them to. And when we immerse ourselves in the text of the Bible, we realize with the Apostle Paul that we are called to something far greater than ourselves. 
We discover that God has chosen us for salvation from eternity past and as such has called us to be a part of the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be an agent and ambassador of God's grace in salvation. The gospel of God then becomes not just the story of Israel or the story of others of what God has done in someone else's life, but it becomes your story and your purpose to see it proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Paul says it is the gospel of God. It is promised in the Old Testament, and it is centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There is no gospel without the person and work of Jesus Christ. There is no salvation outside of Christ and his gospel. One must hear and heed the gospel call to repent from sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. This means that the church has an obligation. It has a debt to the nations to issue the gospel call to all people. The salvation that he brings is rooted in his person and his work. And the apostle Paul draws our attention to who Jesus is according to the flesh as a descendant of David and who he is as the son of God in power, raised from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness. Paul's theology is a fulfillment theology. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, and again Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and when he arises to rule, and he arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles hope. Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Paul refers here to the incarnation of the Son of God. Jesus didn't begin when he was born. He's the eternal Son of God who took on flesh. No gospel exists without the incarnation of the eternal Son of God, who as to his human nature was conceived in the virginal womb of Mary through the power of the Holy Spirit as a descendant of David according to the flesh. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. He is the son of David and the son of God. He is God incarnate and he is at the center of the gospel. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. The great fourth century defender of orthodoxy, Athanasius of Alexandria, who wrote a work on the incarnation of God, said what has not been assumed cannot be redeemed. What did he mean by that? He meant that if Jesus Christ did not take on human flesh, there is no way that he can be our substitute and our savior. Humanity cannot be redeemed by someone that doesn't share a like nature of ours. Tempted in all points like as we were, yet without sin. The writer of Hebrews Chapter 10 tells us about the importance of the incarnation when he writes in verse 4 to 7 and verse 10, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls of goats, blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Therefore, when he comes into the world, speaking of Jesus Christ, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will. 
By this will, we have been sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus Christ was born to die. And this is at the heart of the gospel. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verses 24 to 25, being justified is a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. What is Paul saying? God set forth Jesus on the cross as a satisfaction for our sins, and he did it publicly for all to see. And this is the message that we bring to all of the world who have not heard the good news of a crucified Messiah who as the Lamb of God is appointed by God to take away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ drank the cup of the wine of God's wrath to its bitter dregs on behalf of you and on behalf of me. And in this way, God remains just and the justifier of the one who believes in Jesus. His death satisfied fully the wrath of God against us and effected a great exchange for those who believe. At the moment of faith, we know that our sins are forgiven because Jesus has died for them and has removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. And when we believe in him, we are clothed in his righteousness not a righteousness that is our own, but that which comes on the basis of faith. The great doctrine of justification by faith is laid out here by Paul. The death of Jesus is the ground of our justification. His passive obedience refers to his death on the cross on our behalf, and it secures our forgiveness. His active obedience, which meant that he lived a perfectly righteous life, enables us to receive from him the gift of his righteousness. Romans chapter 5 verse 9 tells us much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. He is our shelter. He is our rock. He is our refuge. He is our ark of safety. Romans 8 verses 1 tells us, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3 verse 13, Christ has, redeemed, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. 2 Corinthians 5 21 tells us that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. No gospel exists apart from the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 to 24, Paul says, For indeed, Jews ask for a sign, and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. God calls us as his servants to send and to be sent to all the nations with the message of a crucified Messiah. But we know that the cross did not have the final word. Jesus died. That bloodied body was wrapped and placed in a bar tomb. The rage of man had been temp temporarily satiated. The hopes of the disciples were 
temporarily dashed, but as the old hymn reminds us, death cannot keep its prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord, he was declared to be the Son of God with power from the resurrection of the dead according to the spirit of holiness. And we know that the resurrection is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. We who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the old man has been crucified with him. And as Christ was buried, we were buried with him. As Christ was raised, we have been raised to walk in newness of life with the hope that one day when he comes again, we will be like him. Now it is the resurrected Lord that directs our mission. The Lord Jesus commissioned Paul and he commissions the church to make disciples of all nations. It's not a command. It's not, I'm sorry, it's not an option. It's a command. <laughs> we go out under his command and authority with the promise that he is with us to the end of the age. Paul referred to his own calling when he said, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. God is still calling. God is still sending. And we know how it's going to end. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and following. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude whom no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What a great day that's going to be. Clothed in white robes, palm branches were in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Will we be found faithful to the Lord's task when he returns. You know, God doesn't call us to finish the task. He calls us to be faithful to it. And we know his faithfulness requires great sacrifice. It will require the use of means, our giving, our going, our praying, our organizing, our laboring, our praying that God would send out laborers to the harvest. But in the difficulty and all the challenges, we know that God has promised to be with us. The great Southern Baptist single female missionary Lottie Moon to China of the 19th century was overjoyed to hear the news of more missionaries coming to help her in the interior of China. And she wrote a letter uh, to Annie Armstrong, which is in the headquarters of the WMU in Birmingham, Alabama, dated January 1889. She said, please say to the new missionaries that they are coming to a life of hardship, responsibility, and constant self-denial. They must live the greater part of the time in Chinese houses in close contact with the people. They will be alone in the interior and will need to be strong and courageous. If the joy of the Lord be their strength, the blessedness of the work will more than compensate for its hardships. Let them come rejoicing to suffer for the sake of that Lord and Master who freely gave his life for them. God has called us all to the great adventure, to see ourselves in light of the gospel, to know who we are as his bondservants, to know that our message is centered in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came to us and 
brought the good news of Jesus Christ home to our heart through the Holy Spirit when we heard the gospel. He is the one that calls us together to advance the gospel across the world to the ends of the earth. Now, maybe God is calling out some of you to be those who are sent. May this blessing of Paul to the church of Roman be ours today. Now, to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen.